Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Have you ever experienced something paranormal only for no one to believe you? Well, you're not alone. It's been referred to as the most haunted house in the world. The small one-story bungalow-style home on Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut was the scene of one of the most documented poltergeist hauntings in American history. What was different about this case was it wasn't just one family who experienced the activity. Numerous police officers, firefighters, city officials, religious leaders, as well as Ed and Lorraine Warren, all witnessed the poltergeist activity firsthand. They witnessed furniture flying across rooms, hearing strange knocking sounds, and seeing terrifying apparitions inside the home, lurking in the shadows. Word spread quickly and thousands from across the country lined up outside the Lindley Street house, hoping to catch a glimpse of the phenomenon. And how this case ended was as strange and abrupt as it began. And the family's daughter, Marcia, was officially blamed for the entire thing by a police superintendent. He called it all a big hoax. The Lindley Street Poltergeist is one of the creepiest and most controversial hauntings in history. It will blow your mind. I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark. Welcome back to the show. It is officially fall. Happy autumn to all of you. If you watch or listen to Avery After Dark, I know that spooky season is one of your favorite times of year, just like mine. And if you're here watching on YouTube, you can see I got the new background, the spooky woods. Thought it would be a nice little eerie change for the show. If you're new here, greetings. I'm so happy you're here. And if you're a long time After Darker, welcome back. It's always so good to see you again. A reminder for all my listeners, you can watch every single Avery After Dark podcast episode on YouTube now. So come and subscribe to the channel. I'm linking that in the show notes. You can check out all the photos and videos that go along with each case and story. If you want to listen or if you want to watch, I got you covered either way. I upload new episodes every week and now that it's almost Halloween time, I never want you to miss out on an episode. You all ask for more hauntings and I'm giving them to you. It's one of the most documented and most debated hauntings in Connecticut history. At the center of the story is the Gooden family. It consisted of Jerry and Laura Gooden and their 10-year-old daughter, Marcia. They lived at 966 Lindley Street in a small bungalow-style home. It was a one-story, four-bedroom house, and things really took a turn for the family in November 1974. One evening, the Goodens were unloading groceries Laura was in the kitchen and Jerry was putting things away. When all of a sudden, the groceries went flying off the kitchen table. Food was all over the floor and the dishes came flying and crashing off the shelf. Knives flew out of the knife holder. It was like unseen hands were tearing this kitchen apart. And then as quickly as it began, it stopped. 
The Goodens weren't quite sure what to make of any of this. Because what do you do when something like this happens? They hoped it was just a one-off experience. But it wasn't. From there, tables and furniture began flipping and moving on their own. Picture frames hanging on walls would come flying off. The family had three recliner-type chairs in their living room, and they began opening and closing on their own, in tandem. And by this point, the family was really scared. Now, these kinds of strange happenings weren't new to the Gooden family. Although events came to a head for the family in 1974, it was reported that strange things had been happening since the Goodens adopted Marcia in 1968, increasing in frequency and intensity over time. A year later was the first time the family officially called authorities in hopes to initially help find the source of this haunting. The Goodens told police that they would hear rhythmic pounding and knocking sounds at night, and they could never find a source. And as time progressed, it escalated. Doors would open and slam shut by themselves. Items would be moved. The family repeatedly called police to search for a cause of it all. But despite thorough investigations, nothing definitive was ever found. So as the activity was ramping up, the Goodens phoned their neighbor for help that night. Things were getting worse, more physical. They needed help. This particular neighbor they called was an off-duty police officer named John Holsworth. When John gets there, he finds the couple on the porch shaky and terrified. He begins talking to them and walks around the house. And as he's standing there, he witnesses what the family's talking about. John Holsworth said, quote, I saw the icebox move. I saw the television move. I saw the chairs open and close, end quote. So he calls for backup. Within the hour, numerous police officers are called to the house. They get inside, begin their investigation, and they start witnessing the activity firsthand as well. Furniture moving, items flying off the shelves. And then they call for backup. They reach out to the fire department. So firemen get to the Lindley Street house and they too begin witnessing the activity. The police are looking at the firefighters like, what do we do here? And the firefighters are looking at the police like, um, we don't know. They're all trying to put on a brave face, but this was unlike anything they had ever seen. This wasn't in the training manual. Let's just say that. They realize this is not a job for them. They are in over their heads. And even made a public statement and said they aren't good at fighting demons. This was all beyond a simple haunting. This was the work of a poltergeist. A poltergeist is a supernatural entity that manifests its presence through physical disturbances, such as loud noises, moving furniture, and throwing objects around. A poltergeist creates mayhem, disorder, fear. They are often angry and very aggressive. One of the tricks a poltergeist is known for is making knocking noises. And the word poltergeist translates literally from German as knocking spirit. So you may be asking, well, what is the difference between a ghost and a poltergeist? A ghost is one thing, but a poltergeist will turn a house upside down. There are similarities between the two, but also many differences. Ghost-like activity is known as a haunting, while a poltergeist activity is deemed as a paranormal disturbance. Many believe that a ghost is a soul of a once-living but departed individual. On the other hand, a poltergeist is a manifestation of negative energy left by some gruesome event or, other times, it can be tied to demonic activity. But some others believe that poltergeists are aggressive souls of the departed. Many times, ghosts are linked with specific places where certain events like a murder have taken place. 
they will remain attached to that area. Ghosts may haunt a house where he or she may have passed away or lived during their life. But poltergeists are not confined to one particular area. They're usually associated with specific objects or people. But there are some theories that say that poltergeists can be linked to multiple objects and multiple people. So as time goes on, police continue trying to get this figured out. And they turn to the logical. There has to be some reasonable explanation for all this. So city engineers are brought to the home next. They're asked to check the gas and electrical service. And one city engineer, a man by the name of Charlie Rader, said as he was inspecting the home, he was standing in the hallway and looked down to see the family's refrigerator move on its own across the kitchen floor. A 450-pound refrigerator moving on its own. They were stunned. And as this happened, police told the city engineers to leave immediately as this was becoming hazardous. So the city officials left. But this was yet another failed attempt. These two were also unable to explain the activity. And at this point, news had spread. We got a haunting. The Lindley Street poltergeist story was all over the newspapers and media. Headlines read, Bridgeport House Haunted by Ghosts? And... Police baffled by poltergeist evidence. And is the devil living on Lindley Street? We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. In the press, it was named the most haunted house in the world because of how many people were witnessing this activity. They had media outside the house interviewing police who would walk out of there saying, yeah, this place is haunted. I saw it firsthand. So the number of witnesses to the paranormal activity was staggering, and it just seemed to add such credibility to the entire case. The story was covered across the country and across the world. There were massive crowds growing outside the Goodens' home. Cars were driving past all day and all night, hoping to catch a glimpse of the activity. And it was out of control. At one point, a few neighbors tried to dispel the dark entities in their own way attempting to set the Goodens' house on fire. It was nuts. And it was also clear this family, police, they needed help. Desperately. Lindley Street had quickly become the epicenter for one of the most documented hauntings in Connecticut history. This sleepy, quiet little suburb wasn't so quiet anymore. On Sunday, November 24th, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who lived nearby, received a phone call from a friend a psychic medium named Mary Pascarella. Mary told them about what was going on and said there was a poltergeist tormenting this family on Lindley Street. She urged Ed and Lorraine to visit the house and told them the place was covered in police, media, and onlookers. This was crazy. At that point, Ed and Lorraine had a reputation and had been investigating for over two decades. So the Warrens, along with a priest they worked with, named Father William Charbonneau, arrive at the Goodens' home. And as they pulled in, a crowd of over 2,000 onlookers were gathered outside the home. Ed Warren said when they walked inside, it looked like a complete disaster. It was as if someone had gone through the home with a baseball bat, smashing things off the walls. Furniture was thrown about, knocked over. It was in disarray. The place was crawling with police, officers, firemen, family, and neighbors. And when Father Charbonneau arrived, many of these police officers knelt and asked to be blessed. 
they were really afraid. And Lorraine Warren said she immediately felt a dark entity in the home as soon as she stepped inside. She crossed that threshold and boom, it hit her. As Ed Warren normally did, and as seen in the Conjuring films, as a part of the investigation, he would sit down with anyone and everyone involved and interview them. Ask them what they've seen, what they've experienced. The Warrens did not take anyone's word for it. They didn't find every place they investigated to be haunted. In fact, they were called to numerous homes to investigate and found very logical reasons for the activity in the home. And a lot of times they would tell the family, this isn't paranormal. The noises that you're hearing at night are just mice in your attic. So the Warrens really conducted their own research and wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on in these cases. And they would interview those involved. And it was on these recordings that numerous police officers at Lindley Street, many seasoned professionals who had been on the force for years, told Ed Warren what they had experienced in the home. One interview with an officer, Tomek, said that he was inside the house and said, quote, We observed things lift off the shelf and fall to the ground. We observed furniture move. End quote. Ed asked Officer Tomek, Is it possible that anyone could have moved this furniture themselves? And Officer Tomek simply said, no. Now, this case was vastly different from others for many reasons. Like I said, the Warrens had never investigated a case with this many firsthand witnesses before. Ever. So Ed and Lorraine began their own investigation, walking around the home, seeing what they saw and felt. And as Ed was inside, he was in the kitchen and watched as a stack of plates flew across the room, smashing into a thousand pieces on the floor right in front of them. To many people, this may sound crazy, but to people that investigate the paranormal, this just sounds like a poltergeist. He also witnessed a crucifix the Goodens had hanging on a wall burst. Father Charbonneau feels it's necessary and began to perform a blessing of the house. He begins to work his way through the upstairs and the blessing seems to be going fine until they get to the basement. Father Charbonneau said as he was down there continuing the blessing, he looked up and saw a black shadow in the corner of the basement. He said it didn't appear to be solid in shape. He looked away, and when he looked back a second later, the shape had become very defined. Then, before his eyes, the black shadowy figure disappeared. He said, quote, There was no other explanation for it other than some type of poltergeist form. End quote. It was around this time that upstairs, things started to take a turn for Lorraine Warren. Lorraine was sitting with Father Charbonneau's seminary assistant, a 21-year-old named Paul Eno. He said that he and Lorraine were sitting down at the table when Lorraine suddenly began to wince in pain. They both looked down to see this big red blister beginning to form on Lorraine's hand. She said it felt like something was burning her. After this, Ed tells Lorraine that she should probably leave the home because of her clairvoyance. So she makes the decision to leave the house. Ed... Lorraine and Father Charbonneau take Lorraine back to their home for the evening. But Paul Eno, the seminary assistant, is left at the house to watch over the family. Specifically, the Goodens' 10-year-old daughter, Marsha. Now, Marsha appeared to be at the center of much of the activity, which is very typical of many poltergeist hauntings. They have a tendency to latch on to a younger girl. And there was this big question. Was Marsha somehow behind these events? Laura and Jerry reported that much of this activity only began after they adopted Marsha. 
But this didn't seem to add up, as witnesses reported that although many of the strange happenings occurred when Marsha was around, a large number also occurred when she was in another room and when she wasn't even in the house at all. So as Ed is leaving, he tells Paul to keep an eye on her and make sure she isn't the one perpetrating this. Now, they didn't feel that Marsha was responsible for all of this, but they were just trying to cover their bases. So the next evening, Paul and Marsha were sitting in the family room playing a board game together. Paul said all of a sudden, he felt something shift inside the home. He described it as a surge of energy. He said there was this really strange, unearthly smell and said he looked into the kitchen and saw that the air had turned a gauzy white color. Things were about to get really freaky. Paul then immediately begins reading a hymn to the glory of Christ. This is when the mist began to shift and twisted into four different shapes. And Paul said he knew it was after Marcia. He felt it. And he was starting to become really angry and protective over her. And he also feared what it would do. So he began pushing against this entity, and he said it pushed back. Quote, It was a solid structure, almost like the skeletons of birds. That's what it felt like. End quote. And what came next is the stuff of nightmares. Paul said the entity quickly shifted past him, shot straight over to Marcia, and, quote, literally picked her off her feet, and she went flying across the room, end quote. Paul then grabbed Marcia and got everyone else inside the home, and they ran out the front door. He said it felt like the house was about to explode. It just had so much energy. When Paul later left, he said Marcy hugged him and asked him, please, please come back. Laura also begged him to return. They seemed genuinely scared, overwhelmed, and in need of help. Now, this was really starting to shift into something much more sinister, and the Warrens believed the activity in the home was demonic. So they began to make plans for an exorcism and start discussions with the Catholic Church, because that's an entire process in itself. But this exorcism would never end up happening because the next morning, Bridgeport Police Superintendent Joseph Walsh makes a shocking announcement. He officially declares the haunting a hoax perpetrated by 10-year-old Marsha Gooden. Yes, you heard that right. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. A 90-pound, 10-year-old girl was behind it all, according to him. Are you... Uh, um... What? Joseph Walsh said that Marcia admitted it was her making the sounds and knocking things off the shelves. And in his announcement, he said, there's no ghost in Bridgeport. So according to him, she was able to move an almost 500-pound refrigerator right in front of police officers, the Warrens, her parents, as well as move other furniture and items... Well, not even being in the home sometimes, because that makes a lot of sense. It was found that after Paul Eno had left the evening before, Superintendent Walsh had sent officers to the house and apparently said, this ends right now. Everyone felt like police just wanted to end this, end the spectacle. This was costing them a lot of money, having police out there all day, every day. After hearing this, Paul said, it's impossible that it was a hoax. Even if you can somehow rationalize this girl somehow being able to fool dozens of adults, being able to flip chairs, tables, move a refrigerator, even if you can somehow believe that, I have no idea how you would, but even if you can, 
Like I said, according to so many witnesses, many of these occurrences happened when Marsha wasn't even in the same room as them or in the house. So Superintendent Walsh, I've got a long line of questions for you. Starting off with, how dare you? Kidding, but not really. This formal announcement not only humiliated Marsha and the Goodens, but it also made the Warrens look bad, Father Charbonneau, Paul Eno, and additionally, the superintendent turned on his own men, his own police officers. He made them look like fools because many of those officers had made official statements to the press saying that they had witnessed this paranormal activity firsthand. They were frequently interviewed outside the house by the media. They said they saw it, they felt it, and it was terrifying. So the superintendent turned on his own force. He made a fool out of the firefighters who had also witnessed the activity, along with the city officials. They claimed they caught Marsha faking it and said that she flat out admitted it. So what if Marsha did admit to this? What if she did tell officers that she was behind it all? Well, first of all, that logically makes no sense because of the reasons we've already discussed. I was once a 10-year-old girl, and I couldn't even convince my own mom I was sick so I could stay home from school at that age. So I find it impossible that she could be behind all of this, fooling dozens of adults. I just don't believe that. But secondly, poltergeist activity, darker entities typically seem to center around a younger kid, oftentimes a girl. And also, these entities are known to threaten and tell these kids what to say and do. Demonic forces will want everyone out of the house. They don't want priests there. They don't want the house blessed. This is good versus evil. So in my opinion, if she did say she was behind it all, admit to everything... I believe it was very possible the demonic entity in the home instructed her to do so. And I'm really reminded of the scene in The Conjuring 2, The Enfield Haunting, where it was a very, very similar situation. The demonic entity within the home did this exact thing. Instructed the young girl who was at the focus of the activity and who was being tormented the most by this entity to make it appear as if she had perpetrated this all on her own to say that she was making it all up. And by doing this, it got everyone to leave. The religious officials, exorcists, the entity was able to regain full control over the family and the home when they left. So that definitely stuck out to me when I read about this case. And all of this goes straight back to the Bible. It's very important to note that the devil is the master of deception. That's what he's called. Jesus says Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and that all lies ultimately have their origin in him. So if there is a situation that seems wrong, off, appears increasingly deceptive, question it. So after the superintendent declared the entire thing a hoax, the media packed up and left. The crowds went home. But more importantly, when something is declared a hoax, no one will touch it. The Catholic Church will back off. They won't go anywhere near it. They won't perform an exorcism. Police won't investigate it. Most parapsychology groups won't want to attach themselves to it. So the family at the center of the haunting is left in the lurch, alone. Just like they were in the beginning, with no help and no one believing them. But it's even worse because they had officially been labeled as liars. 
I always get so confused in situations like this because skeptics will say, I need solid proof. I need evidence. If you give me proof, I'll believe it. But then when you provide them with evidence, they just disregard it and say, oh, no, that's fake. Well, it kind of seems like they just don't want to believe. And that's fine, but just say that then. So that's always been a very confusing exchange for me. Thankfully, one parapsychology group felt like there was much more to this case. They didn't feel it was made up. So a few months later, they sat down and interviewed these police officers who were at Lindley Street, and they recorded all of the interviews. And these recordings just further validated that the Goodens were victims of a demonic poltergeist. One witness, a man named Tim Quinn, who was a reporter, said that one of the days when he was inside the house, Marcia was standing right next to him, and then suddenly she flew straight back. He described it as if someone had a rope and yanked it. If you're familiar with the paranormal and you're listening to this right now, you're probably like, yeah, this is a poltergeist. In another interview, Jack Messina, Bridgeport Fire Chief, said that when he was inside the house, out of nowhere, for no apparent reason, a chair flipped all by itself. Paul McKenna, Assistant Fire Chief, said, One good thing about this, you know, you'll never see it again. Probably in your life. That's the funny part of it. Yeah, for him. Not for the Goodens or Marsha. Ed Warren was especially angered by this case, as he thought it was one of the most credible, powerful cases he had seen in his career. With so many witnesses, so much activity, he thought this would really be a haunting that could open up the public's mind about poltergeist activity. But it didn't. It was labeled as a hoax. The events that transpired inside that home have been debated for decades, some believing that it was made up, but others say that this was indeed one of the most intense hauntings in American history. What made this case so compelling was because of how many reliable witnesses reported experiencing and seeing the activity. This was vastly different than other hauntings where you were typically going on one or two people's experiences. In the end, along with the Goodens and their friends, more than two dozen firefighters, police officers, and other investigators on the scene witnessed all sorts of paranormal activity. And they all continued to consistently tell the same stories over time, never shifting in their beliefs or changing what they saw. And even though their superintendent didn't want to believe them or back them up, these officers stood by their statements over time. And not surprisingly, even though Marcia had supposedly admitted to being the cause of the events and apologized for her role in all of it, the family reported that strange paranormal activity continued to occur in the months following this. And again, this is very typical of poltergeist activity. After weeks, months, or years, it'll eventually stop. But more than 40 years later, what exactly happened at Lindley Street is still widely disputed. One thing for sure is that the Lindley Street poltergeist is one of the most famously documented hauntings in Connecticut history and possibly one of the strongest cases ever of proof of demonic poltergeist activity. It does make me sad that this grown man put this all on Marsha, because when one is at the center of this type of intense activity, you already feel completely alone. But on top of that, to be called a liar? Imagine how alone you would feel after that. You're going through this and no one believes you. But I want to hear your take. What are your thoughts on this case? Do you believe it was all one big hoax? Or like me, do you believe that something paranormal was at play here? 
Let me know your thoughts in the comments. I cannot wait to hear your take on this case. And if you enjoy the show, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you all know how much I appreciate the support. You all are the best. Next episode, I've got so much more coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.